Amen. All right. Well, today, you know, so I started talking, it's been two weeks ago since we missed last week, but I started talking about last week about um, where does real, genuine, stubborn, loyal love come from? And how can I have it for, for, how can I have it for my children? How can I have it for my spouse? How can I have it for my Christian brothers and sisters in the church? How can I develop a, a deeper love than I have? And we talked about um, this is it. It is that God has loved us first. He, he is the initiator of love. There is love in the world, and there's love in marriages, and there's love between uh, husbands and wives, and between family members and, and neighbors and people of, in community, because it began with God. He is the initiator. It, love is a part of His character, and it, it's bled over into His creation. Amen? And thank God for it. Thank God for it that we, that we have it. It's not totally undone by the fall. But so if you've experienced, but for you, those of us who've experienced God's love, Christ's love in salvation, we cannot help but grow in our love for other people. It is Jesus Christ living his life out through us um, and us growing in love for each other. That includes growing in love for each other, for our neighbors, and for our closest neighbor, our, our spouses. So I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 this morning. Because what had happened, so uh, let me talk just a minute about Revelation. So Revelation is of a prophetic vision that was given to the Apostle John. So he was on the island of Patmos, uh, apparently exiled there, um, and he has this vision. This is about, about mid-90s, A.D., mid-90s. And, and he writes in chapters 2 and 3, um, he, he pins, Jesus is speaking to him, and he says, write letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And so John writes these letters, is, is, is actually dictating, the, as Jesus Christ is dictating, he's, he's writing these letters to the churches. So Jesus Christ is speaking to these seven churches in Asia Minor. And you'll see the majority of the churches, get this, the majority of the churches that Jesus is talking to, he commends them some, for some of the good things that, that are going on in their fellowship. And then he says, but there are some things that need your attention. There are some, there's, there's both obedience and disobedience within the church. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's not hard for us to imagine, right? Just because there's areas of disobedience and obedience in your life and, and my life, and we carry those areas of obedience that l the Lord would say, hey, commendable things that you're doing, commendable love that you have for me, commendable whatever it is. But then he says, oh, but you, you, need, to, you need to pay attention to these things where you're walking in disobedience as well. So, right, so uh, that's an encouragement for us. There's always reforming. There's always work that the church needs to be doing. There are always areas of disobedience that we've got to be working on, and that's, that comes down to the lives of individual believers as well. Amen? So we are no strangers, right? The seven churches in Ephesus, the majority of them have these areas of obedience and disobedience alike. But there's a command not to just let the, the areas of disobedience go. It says, he says, in every case, he's going to say, you must address these areas. You, you, must, you must grow in these areas. So the first letter is to the church in Ephesus um, that Paul was very much involved in. The apostle Paul was very much involved in, uh, in, um, in its early growth. He spent a couple of years there. And um, anyway, so he's going to write. So it's interesting. So, so uh, right, so people believe that the, that, that the gospel was taken to Ephesus in about um, the mid-50s, AD 50s. And this letter is written now 40 years later in the mid-90s. So from its founding that we have in, in the book of Acts, that we can see in the book of Acts, and then Paul's returning there in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 20, and then the book of Ephesians that's written fairly early, um, and, then, and then here some 30 or 40 years later, what Jesus would say to that church that had been founded 40 years prior is is really fascinating, but here we go. So, uh, so here we go. 
the, so he, you're gonna, you're, as I read through this, I want you to watch for these things. It, it starts out with a, a description of, of, of Jesus Christ. And then it goes into, into the commendable things that the church is doing. And then these, these letters have very similar structure. And then it says, but there's a problem in the church. We're going to read about the problem in the church in Ephesus. And then he's going to say, and this is what you must do. This is what you must do to walk in greater obedience. So follow along with me in um, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who, who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. So let me walk you through it. So let, let me walk you through it. What is the problem? So he, he so, well, I'm sorry, let me get there. Um, let's take our time. Here we go. All right, so a couple of things. So it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So here it's called, here he refers to the angel of the church in Ephesus. We read just above that in chapter one, um, that, the, that the stars, um, that he holds the seven stars in his right hand. Those stars, he, he would say in the late part of chapter one, in just chapter 1, verse 20, he says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. There's a little bit of debate about what those, what those angels are. Some people believe that they're uh, maybe the pastor or the lead, leader of the church. I don't, I don't find that very compelling an argument. I, I think it's much more likely that these literally are angels who have, have responsibility over the churches. The, uh, Revelation uses angels really to fer, refer to those, even though we know, right, the word angel means messenger, right? But uh, I think here in Revelation, over and over again, angel refers to those heavenly beings that are those spiritual beings who are doing the Lord's work on earth uh, among his people. And so, and so I think these are angels who are representative of the churches, okay? So, um, so follow along with me. He says, so to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write... The words of him, now this is a description of Jesus Christ, the words of him who holds the seven stars, holds, in other words, holds the angels of the churches in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, what are the seven golden lampstands? Listen, Revelation is replete with, with, um, with, with metaphors and with imagery especially. And so here are the, the imagery. We're like, well, what are the seven lampstands? Thankfully, we're, we're always grateful when the scripture just tells us flat out, and he does so in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 again. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here he says that Jesus Christ is holding the angels in his hand and then he walks among the lampstand. I think this is important for understanding the hope that's going to be given, the assurance that's going to be given for the problem that they're having in Ephesus. And, and I want to put it to you this way. The word, he, it says this in, in the middle of chapter 1, the words of him who holds the seven stars. That word holds means to hold firmly or to hold strongly. 
Matter of fact, when you add another predecessor onto the, that same uh, Greek verb, it, it can be translated as almighty. Matter of fact, um, the root word holds is in the, is in the word um, almighty from chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega. It says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. What they've done in Greek there is it's taken a, a word that says all or po- all powerful and added it to that word stronghold. Uh, so, so do you see? So, so we, we have a sense here that the Lord Jesus Christ is holding the representatives of the churches, holding the angels of his churches with a stronghold. We just sang the, the, the song steadfast. That God is holding on uh, to those churches with a stronghold, to the angels of those churches with a stronghold. I think that speaks of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ over his church, that he is sovereign, that he cares for his church, that he is powerful over his church, amen, that he is bringing about all that he desires with his church, with his sovereign power, that he is defeating, he is using the church to defeat the enemy, that he is, he is in the church, that he is defeating sin in the lives of his people, that they might be a light and a purity to the rest of the world, Um, of love and other things. I think this is a picture of Jesus Christ holding those angels in the churches of of Jesus' power for his people. The other thing I think that the imagery points to is that it says that he's the one who holds and he's the one who walks. Well, here we see in this imagery, he's walking amongst the lampstands. Well, the lampstands are representative, are imagery of the churches themselves. So get this, this has this idea that Jesus Christ himself is walking amongst the churches in Ephesus or, or in Asia Minor, that he's walking amongst them. So I get these two things from this. One is that Jesus is powerful, that we just talked about his hold over the angels, the representative angels over the churches. And that second thing, he is present with his people. Amen? Do you hear this? Is this not good news? Listen, Christian brother, sister, we are not on our own. The Lord Jesus Christ holds his church in his hand and he walks among us. He walks among us. His, his power and his presence are here for his people. Amen? His, this is the reason that why the gates of hell will not prevail against the church because the conqueror of death, the conqueror of all, holds us in his hand and walks among us. Amen? He is powerful and present with us. Amen? This is time to right, jump up and run all around. This is, this is great news for the church of God. This is great news for the people of God. Amen? He is present and powerful with us. And that means what? That is it for us that what is impossible There is nothing impossible when the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful and present with us. Amen. Even this. So he he goes forward, and and I'm going to skip really quickly. We're going to skip over the, I'm going to skip over, and I'm not going to talk a lot about the the commendable practices of the church of of Ephesus. But but he says, he, he gives them seven areas of obedience. Listen, seven is repeated over and over. It's this motif of completeness. In, in Revelation. So he gives them seven areas of obedience. He said, I, I know not only is Jesus present and is, he is powerful, he also knows what's going on in the church, right? So he says, I know of your works, of your toil, of your patient endurance, that you don't bear with evil, that you tested the false prophets, that you are of your patient endurance and you're bearing up in my name. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I know all of these things that you're doing. And these are the commendable practices of the, of the assembly of, of believers in Ephesus. 
He says, I know these things about you. They're doing a lot of good things. They're, they're holding on to true doctrine. They're, redirect, they're, they're, they're rejecting false prophets who are bringing in false doctrine into the church. They're rejecting them. They're doing good things in the, in the, in the church in Ephesus. Like, like churches we could relate to today that are, that are doing really good things. They've got areas of strengths and areas of great obedience, right? The church in Ephesus was doing some great things, and particularly in the area of endurance. The book of Revelation is, is, was written at a time where there's increasing, uh, um, not only, you know, we see very early on in the church, we see, um, we, we see the Jews begin to, to break out um, persecution against the church, and then the church spreads all over the known world as these believers get scattered all over the, the, uh, the Mediterranean world. And, and uh, so we begin to see that happening. But then the Roman government in the, in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, the Roman government itself starts to pick up and there becomes a statewide, uh, uh, an emperor-driven uh, persecution of the churches. And actually it's going to hit its peak after, actually after, after it's, uh, it's, it's written here in, uh, in the book of Revelations. There's coming, right, Nero, the emperor, is coming and and uh, his persecution of the church and other emperors is going to be profound for the next couple of hundred years. Uh, it, it will be an incredible persecution that is coming. And, and, and listen to what he says. But in the midst of all that, listen to how many he says, but you work and you toil and you show patient endurance even in the face of state-run persecution. Pretty incredible, isn't it? So anyway, no more time on that. We've got to move on. What's the problem in Ephesus all these great things that they're doing, all these great activities, holding on to true doctrine, expel, you know, being careful to, to keep the pagan um, um, wickedness out of their fellowship and, and false prophets and this work and their toil and their patient endurance. What's the problem? In verse 4, the first part, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. The, Jesus is powerful and present with them, and the church did great things. They were doing good things, but they abandoned their first love. I, I would say it like this. The church in Ephesus has a passion problem. They've got a devotion problem. They're really busy with activity, but their hearts aren't in it anymore. They, they've grown, uh, their, their bodies have become busy, but their hearts have grown a little cold. They don't have the same devotion that they used to. They don't have the same passion that they used to. There's a, there's a heart problem in Ephesus. They're doing lots of great things, but their heart's no longer in it. I don't know if you can relate to this. I think we as believers go through times like this, right? We, I think, right, so there are a couple of ways to take these letters in, 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 um, in, 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 the, in the book of Revelation. One is that these, these letters are always applicable to the church. I think that's the way we should take this, is that these are, this is a problem that Ephesus had. And, and how many of us could say, yes, I've had problems too. I, I've gone through times where my love for the Lord Jesus Christ and my love for the other fellow believers has just grown a little flat. It's just grown a little cold. I, I've had times where I've been really passionate about being in God's Word and, and wanting to be close to Him in prayer and, and about really having communion with Him. But there are other times in my life that I read the Scriptures and it's just like I'm checking a box doing all the right things, but my heart's no longer in it. My heart's grown a little cold. I'm, I've grown a little, I'm, I'm just kind of going through the motions. Yeah, we can all re relate to this, right? The problem that the Ephesians have are problems that we have from time to time in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take this a little further 
Well, I need to answer a question. What love is he talking about? So there are some people who believe that what John is referring to here, what Jesus is, is talking through John to, re- to refer to here, is that it's a love for each other, that the church has grown cold with a love for each other. They're, they're not as concerned. They're not as passionate about, about their love for each other anymore. They're not as passionate about their community and being together and, and showing a, 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 um, a, um, a, a genuine and forgiving and, and extravagant love together like they've been shown by the Lord Jesus Christ is extravagant love. They're not showing an extravagant, passionate love for each other anymore. That's a real possibility. The other one is, and the way you probably read it is, perhaps this is their love has grown cold for Jesus Christ himself. That they've, that they've, other things have kind of crowded in. They've become so busy that they, all of a sudden that they're not loving the Lord Jesus Christ well. That they've lost their devotion, their passion for him. Well, I think we could all say I can relate to both. I've had times in my life, and, and, and there were probably more times coming in my life that I've, that I've lost some passion, that I've lost some devotion, I've lost the enthusiasm that I used to have. So what do we do? I, I, I want to I take this further. I want to take this one step further because every time, every time the Scripture talks about loving each other, loving your neighbor, I, I want to extend that to say this, this, this matters how we love our spouses too. This matters how you love your, your, your wife, how you love your husband well. Because your husband, your wife, is your nearest neighbor, right? Probably they're in the same house with you, right? Probably they sleep at night in, the, in bed next to you. That's a very near neighbor, wouldn't you say? So all these things, I think, that are applicable for our neighbors and the church, it is applicable in marriage as well. So let me tell you how the world thinks. The world believes that <clears throat> love is something that you catch like the flu, like a cold, and you get it, and then you have this love and passion for someone, but then one day, if you get over it, there's just nothing to be done. You fall in love, or you fall out of love. That's a terrible description of how love works, and not at all biblical, by the way. What, what, What John offers here on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ is that he's going to say, there's a remedy for this malady. There's a remedy for this problem that you have of a lack of passion and lack of devotion. There is hope for the Christian who's lost a, a, a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope for the Christian who's lost that, that, that enthusiastic love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And listen, there is hope for the marriages that have thought we've just fallen out of love. i got to tell you, I, I don't know how many, how many counseling appointments that Brent and I have had that starts with, well, we've just fallen out of love. And in every case, I can tell you exactly what's happened. It's actually really simple. Well, let me guess what's happened. And people get very offended when I do it this way, so I try to be very careful not to. But let me guess what's happened. You, got, you, you dated each other, and you were doing things that you both really enjoyed. You pursued each other. Maybe you were an outdoorsy kind of couple, and you enjoyed you know, exploring and hiking and doing all those things. Or maybe you're not that kind of couple. Maybe you're, maybe you're a little more cerebral than that. And so you enjoyed, you know, maybe you enjoyed just being together or eating together or reading together or whatever it was. And you love doing those things together. And then, and then you have children. And then you got a mortgage. And then you got a job. Or maybe you got a second job. And maybe you were struggling to make it. And then life gets busy. And in the midst of busyness, let me guess, you stop doing the things that caused you to fall in love together. Every time I've been right. Every time, without fail. 
See, the world has this belief that if, if I fall out of love, there's no way to get it back. That's not at all what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that there's a way to get back the passion. What, what John's going to describe here is a remedy that says there is a way that the passion, that the enthusiasm, that the devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ, for each other in the church, for, and for your nearest neighbor, there's a way to get that passion and enthusiasm back. So now we're going to spend the rest of our time reading about this. Love is not something that's catchy like the flu. Love has much more with how you're spending your time. So what's happening in Ephesus is they're going through the motions and they're doing all the things when what they need to do is hit pause, hit pause and say, but what were the things that I was doing before? What were the things that I was doing before that, that, that created this sense of love and devotion for Jesus Christ, that created this, this environment of love for my neighbor? What is it what, that we were doing in our marriage that caused us to have a love and devotion, passion for each other? So uh, I think it's, it's very simple. The, the remedy that, that Jesus offers here is given then in the second part of, of or sorry, in, in, in uh, chapter verse 5, I should say. He says, I'm going to give you three words this morning that's super simple to remember and super simple to put into practice. He's going to say, remember, repent, and return. Remember, repent, and return. You ready? So he says, he says in verse 5, remember from where you have fallen. NIV says, I remember this one. The NIV says, remember the height from which you have fallen. In other words, do you remember the time? I'm gonna, look, so I'm going to keep working back and forth between your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and your relationship with your neighbor or nearest neighbor. Do you remember when you first became a believer? Do you remember the things that you were doing do you remember you would be in the scriptures and you couldn't get enough of the scriptures? Do you remember you would have conversations with your friends about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and this new salvation you had found and about how freeing it was to not be under the load and the burden of your sin anymore? Do you remember experiencing and learning about this all came because the Lord Jesus Christ and because God the Father loved me so much that he gave his, the greatest person and thing in all of the universe to sacrifice him on the cross for my behalf and you couldn't stop talking about it and you couldn't stop praying and you couldn't stop being in the scriptures and you couldn't stop telling and talking to your friends about it. Do you remember all that? Do you remember how you fell in love? Do you remember the, the time that you would have together? Do you remember how thoughtful you were in those days? Do you remember how thoughtful you were about, about the, even the way you drove women, right, with your wife, even about the, even about the food that you ate, even about the, uh, you know, small gifts or small little tokens? Listen, back in those days, right, we were all probably broke, right? Anybody relate? You don't have to say that. We were all broke and we couldn't afford anything, but we still were thoughtful. He says, remember, remember that. Now, let me tell you, this is one of, remembering and, and, and is one of the great gifts of God. There are several times in the scriptures where God calls people to remember, remember what God has done, remember what you had done, remember, remember, this is one of the great gifts that he gives, that we have a brain that we can use, right, um, that we can use to remember things. Well, he says, he says here to remember, but it doesn't say here to remember so that you might regret what's been lost. He doesn't say that. That's not the point. He's, he doesn't say, remember that you might have some nostalgia for the old days. That's not his point. He says, remember here with a view toward renewal. Remember the height from which you were fallen. Remember that, not for regret, not for all that has been lost, but listen to me, but you remember for what can be gained again. Amen? For what can be renewed. Uh, that's important. I, I hope you catch that. 
Remember, not for regret. Remember for the sake that renewal can come. Amen? You believe this? I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Lord Jesus Christ is present and powerful amongst his people. Amen? And that's why it's possible that not only can I remember what has happened, I can repent also. That goes on to the next R here, the repentance. It says you've you got to repent. And so let me talk to you about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you sense your heart has grown cold for him, it's time to remember what you were doing before, how you spent your time, the enthusiasm that you used to have, the devotion that you used to have for the Lord Jesus Christ that you may, might remember in anticipation of renewal to come, that you might remember, but the, the next step you need to take besides remembering is repentance to say, Lord, how, how did I get so far off? How did I get through just going through the motions of just like going to church and not having any heart for you? How did I go through the motions of reading through your scriptures in the morning or praying to you like I'm just checking off a box? Oh God, I don't want to have a cold heart towards you. I want to I have a passion for you like I did before and, and to confess before God, God, I need I need that passion back. I need this devotion. I have no reason to not have a profound emotion and devotion for you. Amen? Confess it. Repent from it. Right? The word repentance means to turn, to change your mind about something. Lord, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to do these things. I want them to be rich in my life. I want, I want prayer to be meaningful to me. I want to, I, want to, I want to read the words on this page like it's food for me that I can't wait to take in. Re- remember repent. And here's the, here's the last one in the important part. This, this R word's not in the scriptures, but look what he says. If I'll put on my, my glasses, I can see what he says. He says, after repent and do the works you did at first. Do what you did before. Return. Return to them. Return to those works. If, if you were excited to talk to your friends about the Lord Jesus Christ, talk to your friends again about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were excited to be in the Scriptures again, be in the Scriptures again. If you were excited to be in prayer, if you were excited to, to praise God through music, go back and do those things again. And the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful and present with you. And He can, he can bring back the passion. He can bring back your devotion in your spiritual life. But not only that, he can bring back the, the enthusiasm and the devotion for your neighbor as well. Remember, repent, return. Do what you did before. This is the remedy. This is the solution to our heart problems. This is the solution to when our passion grows cold and our enthusiasm is done, is to be thoughtful again in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, in our relationship with each other, in our relationship in our marriages. What did you do before? What were you doing before that led to such a, an environment of passion and enthusiasm? Return. Return to those things. That's what Jesus Christ says, is what he says here. I haven't looked in my notes in so long, I have no idea what else we should do here, but, but this, but this. If, um, if that's where you've been in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I just want to ask you, remember where you've come from. Repent to him. Today, repent. Re- repent to him and say, Lord, I've, I've grown so cold and I don't know when it happened, but sometime all my activity squeezed out my, my passion for you. Somehow, somehow my activity ended up being more about activity than about being in, in spending time with you, about having any love or devotion for you. 
and said, Lord, that's not where I want to be. What you've done for me, what you've done for me in giving your son, Lord God, is, is profound. It is the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen. And it should move me in my mind, in my spirit, in my emotion. It should move every part of me. Amen? And then return to the things that you had done. If you're in a marriage and if you said, you know, and Brenda and I have been here, I want to remind you over and over again, the Lord has redeemed our marriage. Um, Brenda and I were going through a time where Brenda and I just felt like we're just living together. It's like we're roommates and nothing else. Yeah? I, I, have, a, I have a suspense if you've been married long enough that you've gone through that time. Yeah? This is common amongst people is we lose heart over time. We lose our passion over time. What do we do? Remember, repent, and return. Be thoughtful again. Do the things that you enjoy together. And listen, let me tell you, we get our priorities wrong all the time. This is, this is part of the problem. We stop prioritizing our marriage because we've got so much other busyness. If you stop prioritizing something, it will stop being important to you. You have to maintain the priority about what's most important. And can I tell you, many of you think, many of you believe that your first priority in life is, besides loving the Lord Jesus Christ, is your children. I tell you, that is not the case. Your marriage, listen to me, your marriage is a greater priority than your children. And your children are a priority. Amen? If you're not making time for your marriage to be a priority, then everything falls apart in your home. Can you sense it? Do you feel it? You have to make time. Listen, I, I, someone has said it before I did, but the, 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 the best thing you can do for your children, husbands, is to love your, life, your wife well. The best thing, wives, you can do for your for mothers that you can do for your children is to love your husband well. It is the most important. You must make time. You must make your marriage a priority. And I, I don't mean exclusively. Obviously, I'm not saying so abandon your children and just, you know, hang out every day with your... That's not at all what I'm talking about. You've got to get out. You've got to have some quality time with your spouse at least once a month. But man, if you could squeeze out, a, you know, once a week or, or once every couple of weeks, if you could squeeze out that time where you have some quality quality time together. I don't mean exhausted at the end of the day at 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night and, you know, get out your books and say, okay, what was I supposed to do today? Man, that ain't going to work. It's not going to work. It's got to be quality time. It's got to be time like you spend in the beginning, right? It's got to be thoughtful time, well thought out. Amen? Would you join me as I close us in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to we thank you first that we all, we all know what it is to lose our passion and our devotion, both to you and to other believers, to, to other people where, where we don't have much love for other people. We're not doing much. In, in, uh, we may just be kind of going through the motions and checking the boxes, and we, 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 we could get along really well with the church in Ephesus. But Father, you have a greater design for us than this. You have a remedy. You stand present and powerful for, with us to renew our passion for you and to renew our passion for each other, our devotion and our love for each other. So, Father, forgive us. Help us to remember. Help us remember the height from which we've fallen, the passion and the enthusiasm that's waned over time. Help us to remember that, not for regret, but that we might have renewal in our lives, that you might bring renewal in our lives, that you might renew our passion, that you might renew our, our devotion for you and our devotion for each other. And Father, I pray that you would help us to return. Help us to return to making our marriages our priority. That we might return to making our, our, um, 
a relationship, God, with you a priority, to set aside that time in the mornings that we might be in your word, to talk to other people about what you're doing in our lives and what we're learning in, from your word, uh, to, to be willing to, tell, to, to, to even tell non-believers about what's going on in our lives. We might return to prayer. And that, Lord, over time, we, we just, as we sang this morning, we want to gather the wood so that this little flicker of a flame might grow back into a, war, into a, a roaring fire of passion for you and for each other. Lord, I pray for marriages that are, that are going through times or that will be going through times of, 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 of just having a loss of the emotion over time. I pray, Lord God, that you would help these people to stoke the fires again by returning to what they did before, being thoughtful of one another, doing, what he, doing for each other what no one else can do, loving each other well and sacrificially, being thoughtful with each other with, with thoughts and gifts and thoughtful things, Lord God, I pray that you might renew marriages amongst us. Father, we, th- we thank you for your power and we thank you for your presence amongst us. Father, that we might have confidence that you can do what we think may be impossible, that you could renew our passion. It's in Jesus Christ's great name we pray, amen.